Hello, everyone, and welcome to the February 11 edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The United States Supreme Court continues its expansive interpretation of the Federal Arbitration Act and arbitration provisions contained in contracts. The case is Henry Schein Incorporated versus Archer and White Sales. The High Court rejected the wholly groundless exception that courts had used to spot check whether a claim of arbitrability was plausible before compelling parties into arbitration. And it rebuffed efforts to erect an additional hurdle that would interfere with an employer's ability to enforce arbitration agreements. All lower federal courts must now compel arbitration in all cases where the parties have agreed to delegate the issue of who decides what is arbitratable to an arbitrator. The court's decision, the first authored by Justice Brett Kavanaugh, extinguishes a conflict among various circuit courts of appeal and provides uniform guidance to employers who use arbitration agreements. Employers should familiarize themselves with the ruling in order to ensure that their dispute resolution plans are fully compliant and in line with this decision. A unanimous court reiterated that it meant what it said in the 2009 Renta Center West Incorporated versus Jackson case, and that the parties are certainly free to delegate issues of arbitrability to an arbitrator. The FAA does not contain a wholly groundless exception, and the court was not at liberty to rewrite the statute. There's a double dose of good news for employers in the Henry Schein ruling. First, the decision clears up conflicting case law in the various circuits, and employers now know there is a uniform interpretation as to the enforceability of the party's delegations of arbitrability to an arbitrator. Secondly, the decision sweeps aside a possible hurdle that might have otherwise existed in trying to enforce an arbitration agreement with employees. However, liberal legislators are very unhappy with the broad rights to arbitrate agreements. Congress has once again proposed legislation that would seek to ban mandatory workplace arbitration of employment claims. H.R. 7109, that's known as the Restoring Justice for Workers Act, if passed and signed into law, would overturn the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in Epic Systems and would amend the National Labor Relations Act to specifically prohibit class and collective action waivers. Three women who say they were sexually assaulted by an Oakland doctor who reviewed their cases for workers' compensation claims have sued the state of California and several insurance providers. They allege that the agencies were aware of the doctor's abuse and continued sending patients to him anyway. The women were required to see Dr. John Warbritton after being injured while at work and filing claims for workers' compensation benefits. They each said they reported the alleged abuse by Warbritton and were told they would have to continue seeing him for their claims to proceed. 
Orberton was a QME and an orthopedic specialist in the East Bay since 1982. He voluntarily gave up his medical license in April 2017 after two women accused him of sexual misconduct. At the time, his license was already suspended because of charges filed against him in 2016 for transporting child pornography on his phone and his laptop while returning from a trip from Thailand to San Francisco. Dr. Warbritton pleaded guilty to the child pornography charges and was sentenced to seven years in prison last September. The new civil complaint alleges that Warbritton's history of abuse towards female patients was so well known that the agencies worked with him should have been held accountable. The lawsuit is filed as a class action, and the plaintiff's attorney said he expects more women to join the case as it becomes public. Three insurance providers also are named as defendants, Travelers Indemnity Company, JT2 Integrated, and York Risk Services Group. Warburton was suspended as a QME in February 2018, 10 months after he lost his medical license, and while the child pornography charges were still under investigation. The women described multiple incidents of inappropriate language and touching in their complaint. The Orange County District Attorney won a $1.6 million judgment in a civil case against a plastics plastics manufacturer for willfully endangering employees by maintaining hazardous work environments. Solus Industrial Innovations operated a plastics manufacturing plant in Rancho Santa Margarita. When the business relocated from Pennsylvania to Orange County in 2007, they discarded a commercial boiler to avoid the cost and permitting requirements of proper installation. The company instead purchased and installed an inexpensive residential water heater, knowing that it was not equipped to function at a commercial level. In 2009, the water heater exploded, killing two employees. Cal OSHA determined the explosion had been caused by a failed safety valve and the lack of any other suitable safety features on the heater. In 2012, the Orange County District Attorney filed a criminal suit against the company's plant manager and its maintenance supervisor for felony violations of the labor code, and it also filed this civil action. This January, the court ordered the company to pay $1.6 million, $1.5 million of which will go toward civil penalties, and $100,000 for additional victim restitution. And now our crime report. A federal grand jury indicted Dr. George David, a Fremont psychiatrist, and Linda Nguyen. Prosecutors claim the two engaged in a scheme to defraud California's state disability insurance program. The SDI program is designed to provide partial coverage replacement benefits for wage loss to eligible California workers who are unable to work due to a non-work-related illness, injury, or pregnancy. To receive SDI benefits, a claimant must file a claim for benefits supported by a physician certification attesting to the claimant's disability. 
Prosecutors claim Dr. David provided fraudulent certifications to support fraudulent SDI applications for non-disabled claimants. The indictment also alleges that Nguyen facilitated the fraud by assisting non-disabled persons with the execution and submission of fraudulent documents. The defendants were arrested and made their initial appearances and were released on bond. The defendants face a maximum statutory sentence of 20 years in prison for each count in the indictment. And in regulatory news, both the U.S. House of Representatives and the Senate have begun holding hearings on the rising costs of medicines. The regulators are intensifying scrutiny of the pharmaceutical industry and rising prescription drug prices, a top voter concern and a priority of President Donald Trump's administration. Senator Bernie Sanders sent a letter to Catalyst Pharmaceuticals asking it to justify its decision to charge $375,000 a year for a medication that has been available for years for free to patients. The drug, FERD-APS, is used to treat Lambert-Eaton myasthenic syndrome, a rare neuromuscular disorder. The disorder affects about 1 in 100,000 people in the United States. Senator Sanders asked Catalyst to lay out the financial and non-financial factors that led the company to set the list price at $375,000 and to say how many patients would suffer or die as a result of the high price and how much it was paying to purchase or produce the drug. Patients have been able to get the same drug for free from a small New Jersey-based drug company which offered it through a U.S. Food and Drug Administration program called Compassionate Use. The program allows patients with rare diseases and conditions to have access to experimental drugs outside of a clinical trial when there is no viable alternative. Catalyst received FDA approval of FERDAPS in November, along with exclusive rights to market the medication for the next several years. Catalyst announced last December that it would price the drug at $375,000 a year. Senator Sanders claims the company's decision to set the annual list price that high is not only a blatant fleecing of American taxpayers, but is also, he says, an immoral exploitation of patients who need this medication. Last January, other legislators wrote to 12 pharmaceutical firms asking for detailed information on how they set drug prices. The DWC announced that medical providers who treat injured California workers can now have free online access to the state's medical treatment utilization schedule guidelines. The DWC has adopted some of the treatment guidelines developed by the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine, known also as ACOM. In most cases, medical treatment that is reasonable and necessary to cure or relieve an injured worker from the effects of an injury means treatment that is based upon the ACOM treatment guidelines. Licensed healthcare providers who treat California injured workers 
can now use MDG guidelines CA MTUS ACOM edition to quickly search the latest evidence-based recommendations. Also, providers who perform QME evaluations, utilization review, or IMR can also register to use the online tool free of charge. Providers must register in order to gain access to the site administered by the Read Group. The site also includes online training webinars and instructions. And in medical news, TV ads to, are now going to include drug price transparency. Johnson & Johnson announced it will start adding the price of its medicines to television commercials by next month. It is the first drug maker to heed a call by President Trump for price transparency of drugs advertised directly to consumers on television. The company said it will include both the list price of a product the price before any rebates or discounts to insurers or pharmacy benefit managers, as well as potential out-of-pocket costs that patients will pay. The announcement won praise from the Health and Human Services Secretary, Alex Azar. Last May, HHS released a blueprint for reducing the cost of drug prices, which included a proposal to require disclosure of list prices for drugs in television ads. President Trump made lowering the cost of prescription drugs for consumers a central issue of his 2016 presidential campaign, and he emphasized it again in his State of the Union address this year. Ads for the blood thinner Excelto, which is J&J's most widely prescribed medicine, will be the first television spot to include pricing information. The treatment, which is used to prevent blood clots, costs about $450 to $540 a month. Last week, the Department of Health and Human Services proposed a rule to end the industry-wide system of aftermarket discounts called rebates that pharmacy benefit managers, PBMs, receive from drug makers. The practice has been under increased scrutiny recently. If finalized, the rule would change a system that has been in place for decades and that has been criticized for obfuscating the real price of prescription medicines. Now, CEOs from Novartis and Eli Lilly have backed the government proposals to cut out middlemen in the health system who have inflated the costs of their medicines. Big pharma companies argue they do not benefit customers as they have to push up prices to maintain profit margins. Critics also say that patients do not benefit from the rebates either. President Trump proposed a rule that would end the rebate systems last January. Rival diabetic drug manufacturers Sanofi and Novo Nordisk have also backed their proposals to cut out rebates. Corvell was the first company to offer telehealth in the workers' compensation space in 2015. At the time, there was no roadmap to follow. Corvell has now completed 10,000 virtual visits since then. 
With this significant milestone, Carvel's Vice President of Medical Review Services reported on a few of the lessons the company learned. In order to make telehealth equally efficacious to the brick-and-mortar visit, it needed to offer the same features patients have come to expect, value, and appreciate. That is immediate access to immediate to medical services such as physical therapy, diagnostics imaging, pharmacotherapy, and durable medical equipment have become essential. Telehealth physicians have prescribed medications, ordered vaccines, requested durable medical equipment, and scheduled short-term physical therapy as well as diagnostic imaging. Brick-and-mortar evaluations take more than four hours on average, factoring in travel and wait times, while virtual visits lasted an average of 30 minutes from start to finish. In the past, injured employees sometimes waited one to two days for their claim to be completely set up before receiving any treatment. Now, telehealth providers appropriate Telehealth provides appropriate clinical care within minutes of the injury, and all claims data obtained through virtual visits is loaded into CareMC, the company's claims management technology, making the information immediately and easily accessible. Corvell has learned the importance of working towards a shared goal of providing timely, appropriate care for injured workers. It has a dedicated medical director who oversees telehealth physicians and maintains communication with the nursing director. Communication between the claims intake department, triage nurse, and treating telehealth physicians significantly reduces duplication of services and patient wait times, patient frustration, and coding errors. With telehealth becoming more popular in mainstream healthcare, Corvell says it is now an expectation for injured employees. Health care is evolving, and at the core of its change is data and artificial intelligence. At Corvell, it has utilized AI with The Edge, its completely modernized claims management portal. The Edge takes a claims data from a variety of sources, including bill review and pharmacy, to identify potential risks for certain claims and push out telehealth visits to mitigate that risk. Its claims management platform has allowed Corvell to prevent many minor injuries from becoming expensive claims. A new study published in the Annals of Internal Medicine suggests that compounded pain creams are no better for chronic pain than a placebo topical treatment that contains no medicine at all. The study focused on pain creams made from medicines that are often prescribed for pain in pill form, such as muscle relaxants, anticonvulsants, and NSAID drugs. Researchers randomly assigned about 400 patients with different types of chronic pain to receive either a compounded cream containing an analgesic or a placebo cream without any medicine at all. After one month, 
36% of the patients who used pain creams and 28% who got placebo creams reported less pain than they had at the start. That little difference was too small to conclude that there was a curative effect from the real medicine. This new study is important because compounded pain creams are much more expensive than prescribed over or over-the-counter pain creams, and they did not provide meaningful benefit compared to placebo cream. So that's all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for Workers' Compensation News on Amazon. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd Scarin, Manuki, and Langeman. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.